Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to episode number 88 of Thyroid Nation Radio Live talk show and podcast. I'm Dana Bowman, founder of ThyroidNation.com. And I'm Tiffany Malanich of Mending Medicine and GratefulGarden.biz. And today we are talking with the one and only Dr. Jolene Brighton about birth control and the effects on thyroid health. Of course, if you've missed any of the Thyroid Nation radio podcasts, you can super easily download and listen to them at your leisure on iTunes, Google Play, Blog Talk Radio, Connect to Thyroid Nation. We are all over the place. <laughs> we are. We are. And we are actually hoping that um, she has the right time zone for the show today. I don't see that she's called in yet. So, fingers crossed, she will be with us. We have some great things to talk about. And... You know, I mean, there's so much information about, you know, uh, birth control and, and how it affects you now. And, I mean, it was just like the standard whatever when we were, you know, growing up kids. So so I can't wait to talk to her about it. All right. Yeah. I want to tell you a little bit about the amazing Dr. Jolene Brighton. Before earning her doctorate of naturopathic medicine at the National University of Natural Medicine, she received a B.S. in nutrition science and completed graduate coursework in molecular nutrition at Cal Poly. She is a holistic pelvic care specialist and has trained extensively in biotherapeutic drainage, integrative women's health, and chronic disease management. Biotherapeutic drainage. We will have to ask her about that. That's interesting. I know. Uh, she's, a certified, she's a certified yoga instructor. She's a best-selling author of Healing Your Body Naturally After Childbirth. And she's got a little boy. I've seen pictures. Very, very cute. <laughs> He is cute. Oh, he is cute. I've seen pictures. He's cute. Oh, she's so good. Of course, she's already here, right? She's just waiting for us to to bring her in. Well, awesome. Let's get this Thyroid Nation thriving. Let's do it. Hello? Hi, ladies. How are you today? Oh, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. I'm really excited to talk with you. It's, I just realized it's been a year since we chatted. Last time we were talking about libido. <laughs> I know, right? And, and uh, Dana, you're back in the country, right? I am. She Isn't is. that crazy? <laughs> it's so crazy. It really is. It's uh. It's very surreal because I'll see pictures. I have all these friends on my Facebook, and I'll see pictures and stuff, and it just feels like I'm, I'm there. And so I keep I say it all the time. In fact, when I lived there, I used to say it all the time. So I would say to my husband, "We live in Costa Rica," and I did it for eight years because it was just amazing to me. And so now I will say, "We don't live in Costa Rica," and he'll be like, "I know, babe. Everybody knows this," and I'm like, "I know, but it's just weird for me." So. It's really great. We love Colorado. Uh, the weather is a lot better than I thought here in the springs, and uh, we are just totally enjoying it. So where are you today? You're someplace fun, right? I'm in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> I think it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought you were with um, Aviva, so is that where she is? Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, that that picture of Aviva and I was, uh, that was from this summer. <laughs> So oh. yeah, that, that's that's a little misleading. Um, <laughs> I just realized that. I'm like, sorry. Oh yeah, that, yeah. No, <laughs> when the, I saw the picture, that picture, I was uh, like, 
no, no. We, I took that picture with her this um, this summer, and then she reached out to me, and she, you know, she's like, I really need help making New York Times bestseller. Please, 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 will you post anything? And so I blasted out a bunch of stuff yesterday and put that picture up because people like pictures better than just words. <laughs> Yeah, I know, and I was, like, so excited. I was like, well, how bizarre is that? Because she's with Aviva, and I'm going to be talking to them both today. Okay, okay, <laughs> sorry. I was just confused. I was confused. No okay, well, um, so how are you? How are things going? Good, yeah. I'm not sure if you, you ladies heard, but I had a head injury in December, and I was in a really bad accident, and I actually, like, Lost my memory, couldn't walk for a few weeks. Like, it was a bad brain injury. And I'm uh, walking and functional and talking uh, months before the neurologist said I would be. So I'm going to call that winning. <laughs> yeah, for that's sure. definitely my winning. <laughs> Tiffany, I think, Tiffany, you're the one that told me about that, right? Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, was something else. Like, uh, I can't even imagine yeah. Uh, it was. Yeah. I mean, it was. It was definitely very traumatic on my son's birthday, and uh, yeah, the not not being able to talk and get through sentences or communicate what I needed to. That was that was really concerning. Um, but the funny thing was is that my doctors they were laughing because they were like, we could ask her anything medically related, and she has the answer. Like she can she can answer it. But if we ask her what she wow. ate for breakfast or things like that, she has no idea. And, and I was just laughing. My husband was telling me this. He's like, yeah, everybody just commented on that. Like, I was in such a fog in the beginning. And he's like, everybody kept commenting on that. I'm like, well, I guess that's just very telling of how I spend my days and where I've really cultivated my brain. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You got all this medical information up there. And what you had for breakfast just really isn't important. Yeah, yeah. No, and that's the thing. I'm like, if I retain all the medical knowledge, fine. I can, it's okay if I forget some of my childhood and I've lost some of that. That's okay. As long as I can keep helping people. <laughs> oh, my God, that's so funny. I mean, not funny, but, but funny. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny. <laughs> well, so now you're well, totally, everything's totally functioning fine and you're, and you're back to normal? Um, I'm, I'm not quite back to normal. So I, I'm really awesome in the mornings, but at 3 p.m. every day, my decline starts. Um, and so I usually start getting really dizzy then, and I have more trouble walking, and I, uh, I'm just not as sharp or as quick. Um, my husband says that, he's like, you seem like everybody else, which is not like you. <laughs> that's, that's how he explains it. <laughs> He's like, unless like someone knows you, they can't, he's like they wouldn't be able to tell you're any slower. He's like because you just seem like a normal functioning person. He's like, but just knowing you and knowing your energy and like how you know quick you are and how much you talk and you can't even talk at the end of the day. He's like, it's it's kind of um, he's like it's funny because you're totally passable, but it's just not you. So. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's going to be a long road, it, you know, from, from the, I mean, I got hit from behind with a giant inner tube, I flew up in the air and landed on the back of my head first, I got knocked out, I lost vision when I came to, I couldn't see for about 10 minutes, um, with something like that, I expect to be healing my brain for the rest of the year, <laughs> that's just the reality of it. But it's, I mean, I, when the neurologist was like, I don't think you're going to be able to walk. You won't even be able to work more than two hours out of the day. And that's going to be in, like, March or April. But, you know, for the next three months, like, you're not, you're not going to be functional. 
And then two weeks later, I was, like, walking and doing things. And my husband said, he's like, that is the best thing for you is to hear somebody tell you, like, you can't do this. You won't be able to do right. this. He's like, because you're so stubborn that you were like, well, I'm going to do it then. <laughs> I'm going to get Right? Screw them. Oh, I'm going to show them. <laughs> Santa. <laughs> right? It was a crazy, unusual accident. Just a crazy, unusual accident. On your son's birthday, I mean, my goodness. Yeah, you know, and my son was born on the winter solstice, and um, this winter solstice was really significant for, like, closing out the old and ushering in the new and um, being very introspective. And so it's kind of ironic that it happened on the solstice, and, you know, because all I could do, I mean, for two weeks after the accident, I was just really internal and just processing things that I had. Um, I was meditating like four hours a day during this time, and I was having all of these great epiphanies about, you know, my work and what I want my life to look like and how I really want to shape the future going forward so I spend more time with my son. And, um, yeah, it made me get really real about my life. So I'm really grateful for that. And I'm sure there's going to be more lessons, <laughs> more lessons to follow. I'm just shaking my head. I mean, I'm still just shaking my head because it's just amazing, um, Jolene. I just, I really, I can't imagine. So you were there for Christmas and everything, right? The holidays, excuse me. Yeah. So um, no, I so I wasn't in the hospital for the holidays, but I can't I can't remember any of the holidays. I have no memory of Christmas or New Year's or or anything, which is which really bums me out because I'm watching videos that my husband had of like Christmas morning, and I'm like. I don't remember any of this. I'm like, I don't like that I can't remember Christmas with my son. That kind of bums me out. But I'm like, well, you know, there's there's more Christmases to come. It's going to be okay because I get to be there for those. <laughs> so that that is like that that's very very important to me. But you know, through all of this, I've actually gotten to dive into a ton of research. I found that women need to be treated differently for traumatic brain injuries. That um, you know, women, because of our progesterone fluctuations, that um, at least this is what I've extrapolated from the research, but um, if you get hit in the head when you're on your period, you have a better chance of recovering. But if you get hit in the head two weeks before your period, then you, you are more likely to have long-term deficits and a month later still, still be debilitated. And it's um, what they speculate is because of the drops in the progesterone. But you know, I really dove into the research and saw different ways to treat women. And, uh, you know, of course, I went to my neurologist, and he told me to take ibuprofen, and that's it. <laughs> he was like, take ibuprofen, and I would like you to start an SSRI, because they, they have been shown to be helpful and low-dose for the brain. But I was also having depression and anxiety, which is really normal after a traumatic brain injury. And so, and he wanted to put me on antidepressants. So I was like, no, no, no. I have a thyroid condition. I don't need to deplete that. And I have autoimmune disease. Like, we don't need to be making things worse. (laughs) But, um, yeah, it's interesting, though. The protocol that I've come up with and I've developed, I started using in some of my uh, my autoimmune neurological patients, so people with Hashimoto's that has affected their brain or um, uh, autoimmune lupus um, that affects the brain. And the protocol of what I'm doing is actually working really well for these people. So, um, if I had to get hit in the head to figure all this out to like help all of these things, I'm I'm okay with that right now. <laughs> oh my God, it's just it's not funny, but I mean it's 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 just it's a, kind of funny. It's a miracle. 
It's kind of funny. Okay, well, Tiff, you know, you might want to, you know, talk to her on your own time about some, you know, protocols you might want to, you know, implement in your life because I know Tiff has some brain issues. But really quick, before I um, before I forget, I wanted to let you know, um, Dr. Brighton, that Tiffany is on the air, but not only Tiffany, it's she's got her four kids with her, and they are heading to SeaWorld. <laughs> so I wanted to... I wanted to introduce you to all of them. She has Michael's the oldest, then Joanna, then Samantha, and then Daisy, and they're all with her in the car, and they're being really quiet so we can have our radio show. Oh <laughs> That's so awesome. I can't tell you how many times, like, I've been with my family somewhere, and I'm like, I have to go hide in the bathroom of the closet and, ta- and do this interview or do this call real quick. <laughs> Me too, and you know, I used to like have to. Go ahead. No, I was going to say all the kids started laughing when you said uh, Tiff's got some brain issues. I'm sure they could they could probably spend some time talking about that. I just think that that was funny. It was perfect. I used to have to hide under the covers, Dr. Brighton, um, because it would rain so loud in Costa Rica, and so you'd find me like oh, in God. the bathroom with a big blanket over my head. Travis took a picture of me one time. It was I was like suffocating, but I was on the air. <laughs> just so funny. And you could still hear it. You could still hear the rain just going crazy. Quick question for Dr. Brighton. I just want to ask you real quick. Was was like increasing a T3 or increasing your thyroid medication, did did you try that at all during that to see if that was helpful? Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I definitely did. So I had so many friends. Like, I was in a fog. So I, in my moments of clarity, would, like, send out SOSs to other doctors that were friends of mine. Right. And so, um, yeah, so that was one thing. When a friend of mine, she found out that I, that this happened, she texted me. First thing, she's like, up your thyroid medication. And I right. was like, oh, yes. Like, I, I was obviously not thinking about this. My brain was just in survival mode. So I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course I want to do that. And, uh, when, and you know, when she had sent that text, um, that, had, that was like a week after it happened, and I was already starting to notice that my elbows and knees were getting, the skin was getting really thick again. My skin was really dry. Right. I was shedding more hair, um, yeah. And then, of course, I was sleeping all the time, but you can't tell. You had a brain injury. Who knows why you're sleeping all the time, but, um, <clears throat> yeah. And I was freezing cold again. And so I ended up going up in my dose, and that definitely um, that definitely helped. Um, I, that um, progesterone therapy, I was on um, progesterone therapy, and then on day 21 of my cycle, which is when your progesterone goes highest, that was when my brain actually woke up. That's, that was the first time I woke up, and that's when I knew I was on to something with the progesterone therapy. And so I'm in my second cycle now, and day 21 was just a couple of days ago. And, again, I just had major improvements happen when my progesterone went up. So the progesterone wow, therapy has been really helpful. That's awesome. That's, well, that brings that us so to cool. our topic. It is very cool. When, so now we're going to talk about literally how the birth control pill, and I know so many people, particularly in mine and Dana's generation, just got so incredibly jacked up, for lack of a, of a better, more professional way to say it, from birth control. So tell us a little bit about that and, you know, the, long, the long-term effects of it that, that no one told us, you know, however many yeah. years ago. Yeah. So, you know, first off, I just, I want to start by saying and acknowledging, like, I've been there too. I spent 10 years on the pill. I even went as far as 
stopping my period and doing period suppression where I was only cycling four times a year because you know, my doctor said this was all safe and this was all fine. And so a, a lot of women, that's how they find themselves um, on the pill is a doctor saying, you know, here, take this, it's going to help you for X, Y, and Z. And you right. know, my, my issue, and, and so just to be clear, if you take birth control pills because you don't want to get pregnant, I have no issue with that. That's, that's exactly what it's intended for. But what I take issue with is when doctors reflexively prescribe birth control for symptoms, for symptoms of maybe depression or headaches or acne, for these other things that, you know, are, are, are basically signals from the body that there's a deeper underlying issue. And the problem is, is that when a woman is met with the prescription of birth control, nobody is asking the question of what's actually going on. And instead, they're masking symptoms. And as we mask symptoms, so for instance, one of the most common conditions for this to happen in is PCOS, so polycystic ovarian syndrome. Women will experience irregular periods or maybe they're not having their period. And so a doctor will put them on the birth control pill in order to, you know, get a period in a normal menstrual cycle. But there's a problem there because PCOS, which many women with Hashimoto's, you know, they, they share this condition as well and have this. You know, many women with PCOS, it's actually a metabolic disorder. It's not a hormonal disorder. So we've got a big issue there. You just gave a pill to make the hormones look okay, but you're doing nothing to address the underlying issue, which is eventually going to lead to possibly cardiovascular disease, like a heart attack or a stroke, or even um, developing diabetes. And, you know, what's even more concerning, you know, to, to these women is when they end up in my office trying to get pregnant in their 30s, and they realize that they're infertile. And it's, and the issue has actually been brewing for decades that they've been on this pill, but they had no idea that they had any hormonal issues or any issues at all because it was masking the symptoms. And so, you know, that's, that's, my, that's my one beef with using birth control pills to mask symptoms. Now, if you just can't get pregnant and the pill is the best thing that works for you, I get that. But your doctor should be talking to you about the side effects and the long-term consequences of taking the pill. And so, you know, we, I think the first place we all go to in our minds when we think about side effects of the pill is the risk of stroke or the risk of cancer. So those are like the big ones. And they're very serious. So, yes, of course, we want to be thinking about those. But for women with thyroid disease, there's actually, you know, what I call these uh, just the four big categories that we have to think about. And that includes the gut, nutrient depletions, uh, hormone imbalance, and inflammation that's caused by the pill. And, you know, so to start with the gut, so we've got these four big categories. And the gut, of course, I mean, that is, that is what we all want to talk about all the time because this is really the seat of health and also the place where all disease begins. And so it's very problematic for a woman with thyroid disease to be taking the birth control pill because the birth control pill actually causes inflammation in the intestine and it disrupts the microbiome. And so when we disrupt the microbiome, most women, you know, that are listening to this probably are familiar somewhat with the you know, microbiome and the bacteria and how they really help modulate the immune system. And so when we disrupt the, the microbiome, we start to have issues with immune system dysregulation. If we've got inflammation, we're going to start to have problems with hormone imbalance. That all is stemming from the gut. But we also know that the gut is where, the, where a lot of your thyroid hormone gets converted. So the gut and the liver are two sites where you convert T4 to T3, the active thyroid hormone. 
And so if you're taking a pill, you're actually kind of bogging down those systems, so to speak. You're disrupting your microbiome. You're, you're affecting the gut in a negative way. And then the liver's having to process all of this extra hormone. And all of that can mean that your thyroid hormone doesn't get converted at the rate that you need. You know, and T3 is your metabolism, your mood, your energy. It's all the good stuff. So when, you're, when you don't have adequate amounts of that, you're definitely filling it. But the last thing I would say, you know, the, the effects of, uh, on the gut are so, so pivotal that there was actually a study that came out of Harvard, and it showed that women who used oral contraceptives had a 300% increase in the risk of Crohn's disease, which is an autoimmune uh, gut disease. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, wow. that's how much it affects the gut, a 300% increase. And so, you know, Crohn's oh, disease my. is an autoimmune disease of the gut, it all comes back down to leaky gut, imbalance in the microbiome. That's what's really leading to Crohn's disease. And, you know, you have to have the genetical, genetic susceptibility. But it's pretty profound to, to, to see that in the research and the literature coming forward that, you know, the birth control pill could actually trigger an autoimmune condition in you. And so, you know, we're not there in the research yet to say conclusively that, yes, the birth control pill does do this. We, we, can't, we can't say that. But there are certainly signs right now that are pointing to the fact that there, there are mechanisms in which the birth control pill this, you know, can disrupt and cause inflammation, do all these other things that we know do lead to, to autoimmunity. And so it's a big question right now of, like, how much of a role does the birth control pill actually play in this? Uh, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm like, yeah. Flower field moment in a in a strange way, uh, Dr. Brighton, because that's so profound. All of that information you just said, you just included so many things. I can't even remember all of it. But all I'm thinking <laughs> is, had I only known, I I might not have been on it for long. And and I remember, you know, going on to the mini pill or something after having a baby. And I just I'm mm-hmm. so disappointed that that you weren't here with us before telling us this. <laughs> Well, you know, it's something like, I mean, who knew? Who knew, uh, you know, the pill would do all of these things? I, and, and as women, you know, we cannot deny that the pill has been instrumental in, um, you know, really the forward progression of, like, women's rights. I mean, when, when the pill was introduced, we started seeing college graduation rates among women go up. More women were completing college. More women were, st- were, were advancing in their careers. I mean, it's absolutely been instrument- instrumental. And, you know, it keeps you from having a baby when you don't want to have a baby. So, there, you know, <laughs> there's some benefits there for sure. But on top of that, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I mean, of course, it, they, the things that we know now, we would have gone back and done things so differently. But in all reality, could our, like, could our teenage or 20-something-year-old selves really comprehend the impact of this? I, I'm not sure that we could. No, no, for sure not. Well, not only that, but what makes me angry is mine wasn't even to prevent pregnancy because I, I really was not supposed to be able to get pregnant, which kind of makes me chuckle, especially with the four in the car. But mine was because <laughs> I, I had such right? severe PMS. I was put on the pill at 14. So, and I can't really remember, to be honest, whether it did help or not. It might have helped the pain, but then I became an absolute, you know, emotional mess. But what mm-hmm. makes me frustrated is that they would use that when I look back now, knowing what I know about the thyroid and, and you know, having been born to two uh, hypothyroid parents, 
why the thyroid wasn't looked at closer than rather than just sticking me on the pill, this is going to help the PMS. At 14, I mean, come on, it makes me angry. At 14, makes me angry. You know, I'm I'm right there with you. It makes me angry, too, because here's the other thing that's happening at 14. Your brain is just figuring out how to talk to your ovaries and getting your ovaries responding. Like, the whole hypothalamic, pituitary, ovarian, and the ovarian adrenal thyroid axis, they're all starting their whole communication and setting the scene for adulthood. And so when we go in with a pill, like, nobody's asking, what are we doing to women long-term? Because the pill is shutting down that communication. And so this is why right. some women come off the pill, they never have their period again, they start to have major issues. And, you know, using the pill for PMS, that one really rubs me because PMS is an issue generally with estrogen dominance, liver clearance of, um, you know, of the estrogen itself, gut health of getting that estrogen out. And when you give the pill, you only make all of that worse. So you didn't actually address right. the underlying issue. And then you loaded up some estrogen on top of all of that. And you're absolutely right. They don't even ask the question of what's going on with the thyroid. And that's all I really want is I want doctors to step up and do better in women's medicine and to ask the question of why before they prescribe that pill. Because, you know, that pill, you know, to, to lead into our, our next big category, it's depleting some really cru- crucial nutrients, which, you know, th- these nutrients we need throughout our entire life, but especially in a developing female. Like, this is an important time. And so, you know, this is – nutrient depletion is not something new. We've known about this for a long time. It's well documented. When I was studying nutrition in my undergrad, it was something that even came up in, in our nutrition courses was if a woman was on the pill, she needed to have, a, you know, new, like targeted nutritional therapy because she's depleting uh, folic acid, uh, other B vitamins like B2, B6, B12, uh, vitamin C and E, which are really potent antioxidants. We know the pill depletes antioxidants. And then crucial minerals like selenium and zinc. And, you know, when we're talking about a, a, a gal with thyroid issues, I mean, this is major because, you know, without selenium and zinc, you can't even convert T4 to T3. And so in itself, the pill can actually deplete nutrients, which can cause a thyroid condition. It can cause you to have hypothyroid symptoms, but you don't actually have a thyroid disease or thyroid disorder. It's just the effects of these, these nutrients. And all of these nutrients that are being depleted are absolutely essential for thyroid health. Wow. And well, adrenal, I, I hear I those bees, and I'm thinking adrenals oh, are yeah. serving too from the pill. Yeah. Gee oh, yeah. whiz, the, vitamin, like... the vitamin C, oh, yeah, magnesium. I mean, you can't even run your, your Krebs cycle without these, which is the way we actually generate cellular energy, our ATP. I mean, that's how significant these nutrients are. And not to mention that, heaven forbid, you become pregnant while you're on the pill or coming off the pill and immediately become pregnant because you're depleted in folate, which is crucial to baby's development, in which, you know, you need folate before you even figure out you're pregnant. I mean, before that positive pregnancy test, baby already needed that folate. And so this is really problematic when we're talking about women of reproductive age, especially if we compound nutrient depletions with a thyroid disorder. Well, you know, we must, be on, a hot, we must be on a hive year. mind. <laughs> we must be on a hive mind, like, Dr. Price. <laughs> Go ahead. 
I'm sorry. I was just going to say I'm sitting over here infuriated, and I'm not usually like this. And with all this whole women's stuff political going on right now, which I do not want to talk about, but I am sitting here <laughs> thinking, what should I put on my poster for my picket sign? Because I'm just, like, mad. I just am frustrated. Informed I had a friend who, well, right. I, I had a, a friend who used the copper IUD, and that's a, you know, a, a non-hormonal type of contraceptive, you know, and I, I think, I'm thinking, well, gosh, you were so smart because, you know, I was just popping my pill every day. Yeah, and the copper AD, I mean, it works for some women. It doesn't work for everyone. If you have severe um, cramps or really heavy periods, like the copper AOD is not going to work for you. I'm also apprehensive in giving um, copper AOD to vegans or vegetarians because if we get, if you start having heavier menses, because, you know, a vegan or vegetarian diet isn't rich in bioavailable iron. Sure, certainly you can get iron from your plants, but it's not as bioavailable. We run the risk of, of depleting iron if those periods become heavy. And, you know, this is a personal experience of my own. I got an IUD placed, and I was a vegetarian. My periods got heavier. I didn't change my diet to correct it. And then I went in and saw uh, my primary care provider because I was getting winded when I was working out. And it turned out, I mean, my ferritin, which is a storage form of iron, should be like 80, 90. Mine was three. It was super low. And at that point, my doctor said, well, you can, you can supplement. I had been a vegetarian for 10 years, and I didn't have any issues until I had the IUD. And, uh, you know, it was just something where I was like, well, I'm a food is medicine kind of gal. And if you're telling me right now my diet's not serving me, and, I, you know, I tried to get my iron levels up with my diet, that's when I reintroduced meat because I was like, you know, I, you know, I love the idea of being able to take a supplement and, and you, know, uh, you know, fix some of these things and modulate things. And, and, you know, that's all great. But it always starts with food. And if your diet's not serving you, you definitely, you definitely have to examine that because you can't, you can't out-supplement a diet that isn't meeting your needs. Yes, that is. I, that is so true, and I, I see I see a lot of people doing that now, Dr. Brighton, don't you, where they're going, I'm going to take all these supplements, and they almost feel like it's going to correct a poor diet, or, um, and it just, it just doesn't. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. It's, it's something I see a lot with um, adaptogenic herbs, B vitamins, things to help with the adrenal glands. Um, I think that's the most common is that people are looking for these quick fixes, and, you know, it's. I, I always got to have the real talks with my patients of like, I can't out supplement your stressful job. Like we can't do that. If your life is right. nothing but stress, adaptogenic herbs will not save you. Now they will help you significantly, but you have to look at, you know, what's really going on in your life that's contributing to these things. Um, but back to your point about your picket sign. We don't have to talk about politics. I'm fine with that. But I wanted to say, you know, the thing that we should just be asking for for women and the thing that I'm asking for as a doctor is that we give a true informed consent and we help women understand their bodies so well that they can make the best decisions for themselves. It's not our job as doctors to make decisions for our patients, at least not in this arena that we're talking about. But, you know, how many women would elect for the pill, you know, if they knew some of these things? They should have this information. And at the same time, we can be helping them and supporting them so that, you know, the, the negative effects of the pill are somewhat mitigated. So the impact isn't so great. Right. And it all comes down to choice, right? Informed consent and choice. That's it. Oh, choice. Pretty simple. Big fan of that. 
pretty simple. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's my really body, simple. and if my doctor's not going to make that choice for me, then the government sure as hell shouldn't make that choice for me. I don't know. We're off politics. Let's flip the switch because I'm pretty sure yeah. all of us girls yeah. agree. <laughs> well, the thing I want to say about choice that's really important and is that every woman should have the right to choose. And no woman should be judged for choosing that. And so I'd like to be clear about that. But if you're listening to this uh, and you decide to take the pill and that's the route you go, like, I'm not going to judge you for that. I don't know what your life is like. You live in your body. You are the only person that knows what normal is. And you are the only person that knows what's the best decision for you in this snapshot of time, like right here, right now. Your doctor can't know what's the best decision for you. Let me ask you a quick question, Dr. Brighton. Since we're on that and birth control and choice and and so many of us now, you know, we're working, there's so many other things going on. So what do you say to the woman who's going, God, but I've got to take them. I cannot get pregnant. You know hormones better than just about anybody. Is there anything else that people can do besides birth control pills that isn't going to jack up all their hormones? that they can safely, you know, not get pregnant by doing. Yeah, so IUDs are great for that. So um, now here's the deal. Like there is no birth control that, that is free of side effects. There is absolutely not. So this is a matter of weighing side effects for yourself. So copper IUDs can be fantastic for women. But like I said, they don't work for some women because for of certain heavy women, periods right. of cramps. And also, right. you know, there are some women that, you know, there's, there's no, like, concrete uh, evidence of um, <clears throat> systemic copper toxicity for, with an IUD, but there's certainly lots of anecdotal evidence, which I think anecdotal always comes before the actual hard research. So it's worth right. paying attention to. And there has been research to show that there's higher concentrations of copper localized in the uterus. So it is possible that this is leaching copper and that you are absorbing it. And so that's one thing, um, because that can make zinc depletion worse, um, <clears throat> which is important for thyroid health. So IUD, right. I think, is great. Um, there is the Marina IUD and, like, Kyla and some of these other ones that are hormonal-based. Um, those ones, I have some women that do great on those, but I've had some women have major mood issues with using those. And so it's something that I always prefer that we have no hormones coming in the body because then I can see exactly what's going on with your hormones, and that is a huge measurement of your health. And we get a true picture. But... You know, another method that a lot of my patients actually use is actually the fertility awareness method and combined with condoms sometimes. And um, <clears throat> the fertility mass awareness method is something that, you know, forever as women we've heard is uh, it doesn't work, you might get pregnant, you know, it has a high risk of getting pregnant. And, and it's really been, uh, I think, in a lot of ways just dismissed. But, you know, what I'll say about the fertility awareness method is there are studies showing that it is effective and that efficacy rates are, are pretty high. There was um, one study that followed women for over a year, and they found that um, in women who were doing the fertility awareness method correctly, there was a um, – the pregnancy rate was 0.6 per 100 women, which is pretty phenomenal. Um, but wow. what I'll say about the fertility awareness method is the side effect of that one is getting pregnant. So if you absolutely cannot get pregnant, then, you know, that's something to really consider. But with charting your body temperature, cervical mucus, and then using condoms during your fertile window, which is 
only about like six days out of the month. I mean, if your egg, when you ovulate, it's only going to live a max 24 hours. And then sperm lives about five days. So five days before ovulation, if you had an intercourse, sperm may be hanging around. You could get pregnant. And then um, the day that you actually ovulate. And so if you're, using, if you're, doing, you're having protected sex during that time, then odds of becoming pregnant are much, much lower. And so, you know, there are, you know, there are other methods out there, um, you know, that are non-hormonal and, and work well. And I, I've had, you know, it's something, it's, you know, it, the way I was taught in medical school, fertility awareness method, you know, is not 100%. And so you shouldn't recommend it to patients who don't want to become pregnant. But I've had enough time to observe women, you know, for a long time using this method and they don't, they don't get pregnant. And then having patients who then, like, subsequently the next month just decide to try to get pregnant and do. So it's not a question of infertility. It's that, you know, they know their body so well. And here's the thing. Whether or not you use fertility awareness method for birth control, I still highly recommend that women get into the habit of tracking their cycles. Your period is considered the fifth vital sign. So the American College of Gynecology actually said, you know, they came out with a statement a couple of years ago saying that doctors should be evaluating a woman's menstrual cycle and her period as the fifth vital sign. So with blood pressure, with pulse, with temperature, these normal um, vital signs that we measure, the fifth one is a woman's period because that gives us so much insight into your health. And so fertility awareness method, when you're actually tracking, when you're ovulating, you're tracking how long your cycles are, what are your periods like, like when a woman comes into me with this information, like that fast tracks her healing. It just, I mean, I can't even tell you because I've got all the data I need to get a really clear picture of what's going on with her. So what I teach women is how to do this and how to basically be their own health detective. I mean, my, my practice is set up that I want to teach every woman how to take care of their health so well that they don't need me anymore because, you know, once upon a time, women didn't depend on their doctors like we do now. And I don't think that we should have to depend on doctors to know if we're having a normal period or not. Like, this is information that, like, this is internal women wisdom that we should just have, like, that should be given to us and passed down. And so, you know, that's, I feel, you can tell, I feel very passionately about, like, women understanding their body. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think that's huge. I mean, you, you look at, you know, my generation, Dana's generation, we didn't learn anything. You know, we were just, you know, your doctor, you did what your doctor told you, and you really didn't ask any questions. You didn't know what the pill was actually going to do, but they, you know, he told you that it was going to help with this, and you just took it. I, I, yeah. Yeah, I think young girls need to be, you know, and understand what you're choosing to do to your body. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, when you, when you look at birth control, you've just got to weigh all the pros and cons and look at it for you and then understand that if you start the pill and you suddenly have symptoms or you're feeling depressed, that that's a real thing and that that's not working for you. And the reason why I bring this up is because, you know, there's, there's clear medical gender biases that, that exist in medicine. This is nothing new. We've been talking about this for decades, that, you know, a lot of studies are set up on men because they're less complicated and that they don't translate to women. And because of that, women don't get the best care possible. But, you know, what's really interesting, and I wrote a whole article about this on my blog because I was so just flabbergasted, I guess is the word, 
you know, when we saw the, the JAMA study come out on depression, a million women studied, and what they did is they looked at the correlation between birth control use and the new diagnosis of depression. And I was appalled to see how many experts were so quick to dismiss it and say there is no correlation between depression and um, the pill, something women have complained about forever. So let's keep that in mind in this conversation. Forever. Women forever, right? So the, this study comes out. Now, here's the thing about this study. They, when they looked at newly diagnosed depression, they were looking at women who were admitted to a psychiatric hospital. We're talking big-time depression, massive depression that left them being hospitalized after beginning the pill. They did not account for mild or moderate depression that would have landed someone in, like, a PCP office. And so, that you know, that's important. Like, this is how extreme is depression that they, they were measuring. And, you know, they were also measuring how many people we, uh, would actually fill their prescription for antidepressants. But, you know, in this day and age, everybody's starting to question antidepressants. So how many women actually filled those? So, you know, there were flaws in that study, sure, because all studies have flaws. We can't be perfect. That's okay. Like, this is, this is how we make progress. But, you know, people were so quick to dismiss that. And then what we saw happen is, you know, a couple months later, the male birth control study was halted. Now, get this. It was stopped because less than 5% of men experienced similar symptoms to what women, what women had, one of those being depression. So in this male trial, they say, they stop it because they say, okay, less than 5% of men are experiencing depression. Therefore, we're going to stop this, st this study because these side effects are too much for a man to deal with. Except that the side effects of depression are higher in female birth control. So, you know, to bring this back around, you know, this, this begs the question of why is it okay for a woman to suffer needlessly with depression and be told that the birth control pill has nothing to do with that, but we won't even continue a trial that causes depression in men that is a lower rate than what we see in women. I mean, that's astounding to me. Oh, where's my picket sign? <laughs> Same here, Dana. So let's let's yeah. let me ask you a quick question because I, you know, if I had to go over and do it again, I I, I honestly would not have done it. I don't think, particularly no, having maybe. you know so many genetics for thyroid issues. So let's just talk a little bit about um, somebody with a with an underlying thyroid issue, and their doctor says, "Well, let's do the pill. Let's try the pill." Can you explain? And I know we we have. But, but really specifically, so when a person chooses to take the pill, get ready to put this pill in my mouth, what is about to happen to their body? Yes. So once, once, once you take that pill and you get started on that, it's shutting down communication. So, you know, the pill works through several mechanisms, but the big one that's going to affect, you know, to have a, a wide reaching effect. And it's, uh, it's part of what I call post birth control syndrome, which is something I observe as women come off birth control pills is the disruption in the communication between the brain and your glands. So all of your hormone secreting glands, but namely what the ovaries are doing. So we start disrupting that. The pill goes into the intestines. It starts to affect the microbiome. It starts to bog down the liver. So gut and liver now are not going to convert thyroid hormone in the same way. Then, you know, we're going to start getting intestinal permeability and inflammation taking place. Well, the majority, so thyroid disease, 
majority of thyroid disease is hypothyroidism. Majority of women with hypothyroidism, it's actually Hashimoto's. It's an autoimmune disease, which is inherently inflammatory. So the pill being inflammatory, it's kind of like putting gasoline into the system. Like you've already got a fire burning. You're just going to feed that more. And so as inflammation goes up, we've got adrenal dysregulation. So adrenal dysfunction begins. We start to get fatigued as cortisol can't control the inflammation anymore. That disruption there is going to definitely affect the thyroid further. And then in addition to that, all of that extra estrogen is actually going to make it so the cells don't take up thyroid hormone in the same way. So you could be making your thyroid hormone, but your, your cells aren't listening. They don't care. And so we've got the effect on the gut and the liver. We've got nutrient depletions, which will happen over time. That doesn't happen initially. We've got increased inflammation, which is creating stress on the adrenal glands, on the thyroid, on, on everything. I mean, the brain Talk about, you know, that's part of why I think we start to get so many mood disruptions, too, because of that inflammation. And so, and then there's also the effects on the receptor level, that that estrogen is, is going to affect the receptor. And then on top of that, that pill raises a thyroid binding globulin, which means now you have less free thyroid hormone. So you're going to make less thyroid hormone. You're going to convert less thyroid hormone to active. You're going to bind more of it up, and your cells aren't even going to listen to it when it gets there. So on every level of, of thyroid health, this pill is having an effect. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Oh, okay, so we take, that, we take that patient, Dr. Brighton, and they're listening to the show, and they go, oh, my gosh, I really want to stop doing this to my body. What do they need to be careful of and extra steps that they need to take? Yeah. So first thing is you've got to be careful about getting pregnant. So I, and I well, really right. want to say that first because I keep, I keep talking about this subject of birth control, and I, I'm making a joke, but, you know, I don't want people to look back, like, you know, decades from now and be like, oh, that was the Brighton era where everybody had, like, unwanted pregnancies because she told everybody to stop the pill or whatever. <laughs> I'm very careful. I'm like, I don't want that. No. That's not going to be my lineage. <laughs> but, uh, no, yeah, and so, that's you know, the first thing <laughs> – well, I just don't want women to be like, okay, I'm stopping the pill today. This stuff is bad. So you got to have a backup method <laughs> ready to go, okay? So that's one thing. Have a backup ready, re- method ready to go. And then the other thing is that I want to be really real with you, that post-birth control syndrome is a real thing. It lasts about three to four months. And what we see during that is that we can have, you know, a whole wide variety of hormonal symptoms, wild mood swings, you know, even hot flashes. Um, I have a patient that just recently – stopped the pill in her 30s, and she's having crazy hot flashes and night sweats. I mean, it's looking like a perimenopausal picture. She's not. It's just that estrogen levels, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not getting them. Uh, they're just fluctuating too wildly. And so, you know, I see a lot of, of symptoms as women come off. Your body has to learn how to communicate again. And in addition to that, whatever symptoms you had before you, you went on the pill, so if you had PMS or you were given it, for, uh, you know, for acne, those can come back and they can come back full force. Now, now, that being said, you can do lots of things and it's an opportunity to work on the root cause, which I think, you know, anytime we get to work on the root cause and make symptoms be gone for good, I'm a big fan of that. And so if you're going to transition off the birth control, I definitely recommend having a doctor, having an ally, somebody that can help you navigate all of this because you're going to need, I mean, first thing you need to do is you've got to start healing your gut. 
You need to rebuild that, that microbiome. You need to seal up that gut so you have no leaky gut. You've got to have great motility. And if there's any kind of infection, then you definitely need to clear those out. The, the birth control pill, um, there's been studies to show changes in vaginal flora and a propensity toward yeast in some women, I mean, depending on the hormones. And so because the gut and the vagina share bacteria you and, and yeast, they share these microorganisms, you can understand that if we're seeing it in the vagina, then we're seeing it in the gut. And so you may have gut infections that you need to, you need to clear up. And then certainly we want to do whatever we can to be supporting the adrenal, supporting the thyroid, and reinforcing the communication of the OAT axis, which is ovaries, adrenal, thyroid, and then also reinforcing hypothalamic pituitary access um, onto all of those organs, ovaries, adrenal, thyroid. And so ways that we, we do that is definitely, you know, all of the lifestyle stuff that we talk about of like good sleep and good, you know, anti-inflammatory diet and all of those things definitely have to be a part of it. But we also need to start giving nutrient therapy. So if you're on the pill and you're staying on the pill, you need a prenatal or you need a multivitamin. You need to be taking that to just safeguard against these nutrient depletions. And, of course, you need a healthy gut to be absorbing it. So you need to do what you can to help your gut. But, you know, as you come off the pill, we want to, we want to measure. So I'm a big fan of testing. We want to measure. I want to see, you know, where your hormones are at. <clears throat> and usually, uh, you know, I'm going to look at all of the hormones. I'm going to look at all the nutrients. We do advanced panels looking at inflammation. So we understand on an individualized level the work that we have to do to bring down inflammation, to repair that gut. What nutrients are we lacking? You know, what else is going on? And so, you know, we're, we're working up the whole person on this. But the biggest thing, I think, as a patient, that you can do, you know, aside from all that, uh, you know, that is possible, but to meet with your doctor is to start tracking your symptoms and where they're happening in your cycle. And so that's going to be very important because if we've got a really clear picture, then we know where the dysregulation and the issues are. For most women with thyroid issues, it's going to be inadequate progesterone and estrogen dominance issues that we're going to have to work on. And again, all that's going to come back to doing a liver detox. So get the gut working first. Feed that microbiome. Make sure you're having a bowel movement every day. And then I, I generally put women through a liver detox, at least for 30 days, doing a medical-grade liver detox to really support that liver. And the reason why I do that is I found that if we, if we go in and we really get that liver you know, happy and healthy, a lot of the hormonal symptoms are going to gonna resolve a lot quicker. So gut and liver are definitely paramount to all of that. Is that does that make sense to you? Is that all clear? Uh, absolutely all clear. Now I've got one more patient for you, Dr. Brighton. Yeah. So we have the, the the gal that comes in that's not so much worried about the toxicity of the birth control. But you know what, Dr. Brighton? I want to get pregnant. I want to get pregnant. So I want to go off the pill. Are there any special concerns? I mean, obviously we went through that those would be included in someone who wanted to get pregnant. But any other special concerns and if it's important to me, especially as a, as a health syndrome survivor, you know, what do you tell the woman who's coming off the birth control pill that wants to get pregnant? I tell her to please give me six months. <laughs> so um, usually when women come off the pill, like, they want to be pregnant right now. So why do I right. say six months? Here's the deal. So the egg that you get pregnant with started its maturation process 90 days before you ovulated it, okay? So three months prior, that egg was maturing. 
And as it matures, it is very susceptible to environmental toxins and um, to what, are, you know, basically what happens is peaks and troughs of methylation. And so this is important because methylation protects this egg, but the birth control pill depletes folate and B12, which are what you need, and, and magnesium and these other minerals core actual methylation process. So your methylation, your ability to methylate is going to be down. And so that egg has not been protected in the way that we want it to. So I want to spend 90 days at least helping build the healthiest egg possible. But my perspective is this. You cannot, you cannot just work on a healthy egg. It's all about the seeds and the soil. You don't take the best heirloom tomato seeds and then throw them in any soil and expect that they're going to thrive. It doesn't work that way in nature. It won't work that way in your body either. And as a special, you know, little side note to all of this is that we know women, so women with thyroid disease, especially with Hashimoto's, we have a higher risk of having a child with autism, also Down syndrome as well. But, you know, with the, now autism is multifactorial. It is never the mother's fault. I want to be very clear about that. There is so much going on in this world that is out of our control that I do not believe we can point the finger at mama ever. And that is my stance on that. But what I will say is that we also know there's methylation issues in babies with autism. So, and environmental toxins can play a role. So that's another reason we've got to work on all of that process before conception. My job as a doctor is, you know, I got to treat what's in front of me, but I got to prevent whatever's coming down the pipeline. And it's my feeling that true preventative medicine starts by taking care of our future mothers. And so, if we want baby and the, and the future human race to be healthy, you've got to take care of mama's body first. So, definitely best egg quality. Because that birth control pill is depleting antioxidants, I recommend women start CoQ10, so 300 milligrams of CoQ10 daily. We use this in fertility all the time. It's a great antioxidant, and it protects the mitochondria, which is the name of the game when it comes to fertility um, and, and energy production as well. The mitochondria is going to get passed down genetically. That's your DNA that you pass down to babies. So, you know, CoQ10, definitely want to get that going. Um, things to help support the liver. Again, we're going we're gonna to go through a detox. We want to make sure all of the detox pathways are open. Then we're doing, we're doing a liver detox. We're getting mama as squeaky clean as possible. And then we're building nutrient stores. So, you know, we want to start a multivitamin prenatal ahead of time, but know that we've got to fix your gut so that you're absorbing that and you're maximizing the nutrients that you can get from those supplements, but also from your diet as well. And then um, the microbiome is critical in fertility. So the pill, it just messed up that microbiome. And why this is important is there's actually been new studies coming out showing that the microbiome influences implantation. So a couple of things here actually with the pill is that the embryo scans the environment uh, to see if it's safe to implant. We know that implantation will not happen um, if there's high levels of inflammation, if there's not adequate nutrition present, and, you know, there's also the effects of, you know, what, what is happening in terms of the pill disrupting the microbiome. And so, yeah, there was a recent study on IBS and that uh, you've got to have a healthy microbiome in, in, for implantation. And so that's the other reason why we want to be working on that. And, you know, with women with thyroid disease, you always, always, always must get your thyroid checked. 
If your TSH is 2.5 or higher, you need to get that down before you become pregnant. Less than two is where I want to see it. The reason for that is because pregnancy is a stress test for the thyroid. You, you increase your needs for thyroid, the demand goes up uh, like, like at least 50% in most women, um, that they'll need to see an increase in their medication or their, their thyroid, they're going to have an increased demand on that. Now, if your TSH goes up above 2.5 or you have anti-TPO antibodies circulating, you're at a higher risk of miscarriage. And that, to me, if we can prevent a miscarriage, it's certainly high on the list of priorities. Because as a woman who's gone through a miscarriage, I mean, personally, it, it triggered my autoimmunity. I had a big autoimmune flare after it, so I, had, I struggled with that. And then, you know, just knowing the pain that you go through, I mean, it's, it's incredibly heartbreaking that if I can prevent that in a woman, then I certainly want to do that. Of course, miscarriages, they can happen, and we can have no idea why, and it's nature doing its job. It's really nature saying, this, this is not going to be a viable pregnancy. This is not compatible with life. So we're, we're, we're not going to move forward with this to protect you and to protect, you know, what, what that life was that was forming. And so that is your body being very wise. But, of course, you know, if it's, if it's because of, you know, mismanagement of thyroid disease, that's not being very – that's not your body being wise. That is, that, that is your doctor not looking out for you and not educating you. And so I really want to say that piece because you know, it's so important in women with thyroid disease. You know, I want to just Woo. take a minute to, to tell you how important and how grateful – I'll tell you how grateful I was having health syndrome with my first child, and then when I – when I came off nursing my fourth child, Daisy, is when my, my B12 dropped critically low. But I actually wrote Rainbow Light. I used their complete prenatal system. I was on that for, my God, I don't know, like eons, 12 years. Or but after I actually uh-huh. knew all this about the thyroid and everything, I wrote them a letter. And I said, I just want to take the time to thank you because I didn't go on those prenatal vitamins until eight weeks into the, into my pregnancy with my, my first child. And mm-hmm. so he was the one that I had that, the help syndrome with, and I was extremely ill. But long story short, you know, that prenatal vitamin had 200 micrograms of selenium. It had plenty of iron, plenty of B12. And when I got so sick after I went off of them, I realized how much it had protected me during that time because I had – They told me I could never have another child again that wouldn't have the health syndrome. I had three healthy girls with absolutely no problems. And, you know, prenatals are so important. Nutrients are so important while you're pregnant. And I know you probably have a favorite prenatal vitamin, and, and, you know, that was just my experience with that company, and who knows, you know, what I would choose now. But, yeah, although I think that that machine has stopped. But the importance (laughs) of... Being nutrient-dense, if I had to go back, Dr. Brighton, and do it all over again, I would. it would be of utmost importance to prepare my body to be pregnant to bring these, these amazing creatures into the world, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, something, it's a great point that you bring up that a prenatal having 200 micrograms of selenium or at least 100 micrograms, and then we can, we can you know, uh, supplement beyond that. But, yeah, you know, I see prenatals out there. So in pregnancy, the requirement for iodine is 300 micrograms, which part of it is supposed to be dietarily uh, taken in. 
But, you know, I'll see prenatals out there with high, really high levels of iodine and really low levels of selenium. And I've had patients come in to me, and they've taken that during their pregnancy. They take it in postpartum, and they end up with postpartum thyroiditis. Now, I can't say right. whether or not that prenatal caused it, but I definitely know that the imbalance, too much iodine relative to the selenium, definitely can tip the scale when it comes to an autoimmune flare in, in women with thyroid disease. So right. you know, it's great that, you know, you found a prenatal with two endomycosomes. I think that's absolutely, I mean, that it's so essential to be taking selenium in pregnancy, um, especially if you have a history of thyroid disease, because it can it can prevent an actual autoimmune flare from happening in postpartum, which is super common. Not talked about, but it's super common. Right. And see, my antibodies and the B12 and everything showed up about three months after I stopped my prenatal vitamins. And, you know, I will always wonder, because I think that one had like 150 micrograms of iodine. It wasn't anything crazy. But, you know, in the selenium, and you look at the Bs and the B12, and I was just, I honestly, it sounds so stupid, but I cried, and I said, you know what, I just want to thank them, because this was 15 years ago. My son is 15. So the Mm -hmm. whole selenium, you know, that wasn't, I don't think, really on the forefront of people's brains. They may have known about it, but I was so, so incredibly grateful, and, um, you know, what I wouldn't, like I said, what I wouldn't have given to prepare my body for for him before I knew that he was coming. If I had to do anything over again, I don't have too many regrets, but that that definitely is one of them. <laughs> yeah, I wish I'd known more. Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, there there are so if I could tell you, so, there's so many times that I can count where I'm like, if I had just known this, if I had just done this. But you know what? We didn't. We were doing the best we could with the, the information that we had. I mean, that's that's how we operate. And I mean, there's a reason why people are always saying that hindsight is twenty twenty because it is. Right. And it's, it's so much easier. So you know, it's it is a lot easier to look back and say, oh, it was like actually X, Y, and Z, and if I could have done these things. But the reality is, is that you know, when you are in the thick of it, you are too close to the situation to see what's happening. What I tell patients sure. is, you know, when, when they're trying to navigate their health and they feel so frustrated, you know, it's, it's like holding a book right up to your face and trying to read it. You can't make out what the words say. You need someone like me who can step back far enough to read those words to you. And that is what my job is. That's what a doctor should be doing is explaining to you how your symptom picture fits, you know, whatever we believe is going on, whatever the hypothesis or diagnosis is, and then what treatment we're going to do and how that treatment's going to help you. Like these are the kind of conversations that we need to be having with women and never, never, never should we be harping on, well, you know, like I call it finger wagging. You shouldn't be wagging your finger at a patient being like, you should have known better. You should have done this differently. You know, you would have, you would have, if you knew, if you had the information. Right. For sure. What I wouldn't have given to have a doctor like you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking uh, this whole thing, this whole conversation, just this this past few minutes, I was sitting here thinking, uh, I guess my brain's in a weird mode today because I'm like, wow, she would have just made herself the best Super Bowl commercial ever. (laughs) I would hire you and have you as my doctor if I was getting pregnant, like, ASAP. I mean, uh, I was just, I don't know, my brain's in a weird place. So, that was fantastic. I love that you say All super you just said. 
Well, I mean, you know, I actually said to my husband the other day about, like, how stressful it would be to be one of those people who develop Super Bowl commercials because you have to get it right, and there's so much writing on it. <laughs> so it's funny you bring it up because I'm like, oh, that actually gives me a little bit of a panic to be on a Super Bowl commercial. <laughs> oh, no, I think you'd rock it. <laughs> I think you'd rock it. Absolutely. Well, we'll see if the NFL wants me on anytime soon. <laughs> oh my well, God. I mean, this I is think just, it's perfect. This has, been, this has been fabulous, Dr. Bryden. I mean, I, I'm messaging different people that I know saying, you have to listen to the show. You have to listen to the show. Um, truly, where were you in my life? I'm so glad you're here now, and we thank you for all you're doing because this information is fabulous. And the way you say it, and the way you make us feel so empowered and, and you're not judging, it's, it's, a, it's a delight. So thank you for all you're doing, really. Oh, well, thank, thank you, you thank for you, saying that. You. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we are. And so you definitely need to pick up her book, and you definitely need to, to harvest and, and love those eggs before any babies pop out if you can. So <laughs> if you need Better some help, Dr. Brighton. DrBrighton.com. So we will tell everybody where to find you. This has been an absolute dream show, and I just really appreciate you. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate you ladies. Like, seriously, you guys are such a movement, and you are educating so many women on how to heal their bodies and how to take care of themselves. I just am so grateful for the work you do in this world. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Everybody's (laughs) happy love moment. Happy love moment. I get to go into SeaWorld with this total fluff mode. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Guys, have a blast. Ladies, I hope you have a great Girl. day. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You too, Dr. Brighton. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Wowza. I'm telling you, everybody deserves, I, I want everybody to say this out loud. I deserve to have a physician like Dr. Brighton. Every woman deserves to have this woman for a physician. I'm cloning her and Dr. Rom. Rom. (laughs) I am. No, that's obviously a joke. I mean, nowadays that's kind of a scary statement. But I think everybody deserves to have a physician like her. Oh. Me too. Oh, I mean, you know, I mean, all of what she was saying was aggravating me and in, in, infuriating me at the very end of it all. I was still feeling very empowered and very loved. So you can just imagine what it's like to be her patient. So, wow. That was great. That was great. That was unbelievable. You can find all things. Uh, Dr. Jolene Brighton at drbrighten.com and be sure to pick up her amazing book. Um, let's see, let me tell you the title of it again. Healing Your Body Naturally After Childbirth. I'm sure she has fantastic information about before childbirth, but this is, uh, this is after too. So be sure to check that out <clears throat> because she will make you feel good. What a feel-good show. As always, yeah, really. Uh, Very big thank you to our listeners. If you get a free minute, 
check us out on, on uh, iTunes and give us a review. Let us know what you think. And be sure to check out Thyroid Nation Essentials at thyroidnation.com. I can't. <laughs> Are you still there? Because we, uh, yeah, I'm here. Because we, uh, we, these are products that we created with love and light. And we, even Tiffany and I told ourselves, whether we sell one or not, we are putting this out into the world with all of our heart and our love because they are great products and good for you. So um, check it out at thyroidnation.com. And make sure to follow us on all the um, social media outlets. And check out our Hockey and Graves Facebook support group. And most and importantly, Dan and Yeah, okay, good. Thank goodness. I was like, oh, no, she's not going to remember. <laughs> Uh, no, we're just, I'm just turning in, so it's like trying to follow directions. And Anyways, long story short, most importantly, Dana and I always want to remind you that wellness is a journey and takes continual maintenance and evaluation. We need to reassess. I mean, look at Dr. Brighton. She's a perfect example, a head injury. It's time to reassess. You cannot just take the thyroid medication and be finished. It doesn't work that way. It's not that easy. You need to constantly be in check with your body and be paying attention to what it tells you. Yes, you do. Okay, guys, this is Dana, your Thyroid Nation, Ringatika, and Tiffany Mladenich. Bringing the collective voice of Thyroid Thrivers Worldwide so that together, united we heal. Great show. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Have a wonderful day. Have fun, girls, guys. Thank you. Say bye. 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 <laughs> I got all my of them. Baby. Hey, Mike? <laughs> Say bye, Mike. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> bye, baby. <laughs> bye. Have fun. Bye-bye. Thank you. Pics. I will. I will. <laughs> <laughs>